Welcome to Eastgate Church. I trust you'll find this message inspiring and encouraging for you today. Sadducees, they were like the political elite. They were the kind of 
Well, they did the mind game business with whoever, as long as they could keep their wealth and their status. Uh, and Sanhedrin was kind of packed out with the kind of the Sadducees. You had the few Pharisees, certainly Caiaphas was a Sadducee, kind of like the Supreme Court of America, it's the Republicans and Democrats, they can try and pack it out to kind of you know, hold sway over what happens. And the Sadducees, probably because of their wealth, we can't even know for sure, but probably because of their wealth, they kind of had these positions of prominence uh, in the Sanhedrin. But here they are, working together. Aye, why are they working together? Because, you know, you look at Paul in Acts 23, he kind of exploits their the differences. I to kind of, you know, save himself or kind of allowing God to kind of save him in this uh, situation. But why were they working together? Two groups that were diametrically opposed to each other. Well, it happens all the time, doesn't it? it happens all the time. And it especially happens when Christ is the enemy. And we see that in their own country, you know, not so long ago. We've seen young Christian girl for the Highlands, Kate Forbes, running for the, the Scottish leadership, First Minister, thank you, Arthur. Uh, and certainly, you know, my heart was invested in her. I, you want her to get that, do you know what I mean? And it's like, but then you see the other candidate, who is a Muslim, Humza Yosef, uh, who clearly, uh, Islam has strong views on certain subjects, as does Christianity. But yet, when Kate Forbes is before the cameras, they give her all the, the questions, the hard questions about, you know, gay marriage, abortion, all that kind of stuff. And fair play to her, she stuck to her guns, answered the questions, but then the media runs with that, and what happens is, well, she's polarised, eh, but Humza gets a free ride. Well, why is that? Because they're both opposed to Christ. And it's no Kate Forbes they're opposed to, really. It's Christ and Kate Forbes, isn't it? Yes. So that's the reality. We see that. Aye, especially when it's Christ, because the spirit of the age is not only a work new and early with Humza and the liberals and the media and all that kind of stuff, but the spirit of the age is also at work back in Israel with the Pharisees and the Sadducees who were opposed to Christ. Prove me wrong. <laughs> he answered them, when it is evening you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red and in the morning it will be stormy today. For the sky is red and threatening. So, red sky in the morning, shepherds warning, red sky at night, shepherds delight. We also understand the signs of the sky, aye? So did they. They're asking for a sign. You know, it was common practice uh, in Jewish culture that if somebody was claiming to be something, that you could demand a sign. Now, the problem with demanding a sign here on earth is that that could be done under the power of Satan as accord to Jewish tradition. So therefore, they demand a sign from the sky, which really, you can't really manufacture, aye? Because, you know, that's God's domain, aye? And Jesus says, well, you can interpret the signs of the sky, but know the signs of the times. And the only sign that's going to be given you is the sign of Jonah. So we know what the sign of Jonah is, going back a few chapters from Matthew 12. But what, what was the sign of Jonah really in his day? Well, the people of Nineveh, what was the sign to them? It wasn't Jonah in the fish. They didn't know Jonah was in the fish for three days. It was Jonah himself. 
and the message that he preached that led them to repentance and for God to relent on destroying them. So what Jesus, in effect, is saying to them is, I am the same. I am the same. You know the scriptures. You've seen what I've been doing. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. I'm speaking about repentance. I'm speaking the message of God. God is in your midst, but you cannot recognize the sign right in front of you. Nothing else will be given. So when the disciples reach the other side, because they leave, they had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus says to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, we brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So Jesus and the disciples, what they do is, they leave, basically, where the Jewish people were, and they go across. They're, they're kind of escaping, aye? And what happens is, we see the kind of, well, we see ourselves in the disciples, don't we? Aye? We see how kind of slow of perceiving what's actually going on. And Jesus says to them, watch and beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So, a few things going on. We're in the boat and Jesus makes a statement. So, in Jewish culture, leaven was always seen as, pretty much always seen as, an evil force. Aye, it was an evil force that went unnoticed. Aye, it kind of crept in and permeated like a yeast does in a dough. Aye, it goes unnoticed until it's corrupted. Aye. Now, when he says that, the disciples don't understand what he's talking about. They start to talk about bread. We brought no bread. Now, this, on the face of it, might have been, you know, a statement that was valid. Because the bread that was being baked on where they were about to go might have actually made them unclean. So, initially, what they're saying is, we've not got any bread here. He's saying we need to be careful when we go and get the bread. You can just imagine them in the boat. Where's the bread? Where's the bread? Don't get the bread. You forgot the bread. But Jesus says, oh, you have little faith. Why are you discussing this? The fact that we've got no bread. Do you not remember the miracles that I've done? Do you forget so quickly? Is your faith failed so quickly? How do you fail to understand that I'm not speaking about bread? And again he repeats it, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood when he repeats it again. Because sometimes we need things repeated to us. That's probably so. For some of you are sitting here thinking, I've heard folk preach on this four or five times. 
You're going to hear it again, aye? Because you forget, I forget, we leak. So what is the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Well, we're still kind of left with it today, aren't we? Sometimes even in church, even though, you know, we are no Jewish, aye? We still kind of, you know, it still seeps into us the same kind of, the same kind of leaven. So the Pharisees, as I said, were concerned about outward appearance, aye? How, how, eh, I keep the letter of the law determines how holy I am. If I go to church every Sunday, aye, if I do my tithe, my 10% or whatever it is you give, aye, then I'm doing good. Well, that's not what it's about, is it? Aye. Now, Jesus in the Sermon of the Mount really blows that out the water, doesn't he? Do you know what I mean? Because it's like, if you look at a woman with lust in your eyes, well, they commit adultery. If you look at our brother with anger in your heart, you've already committed murder. So he's raising the letter of the law higher and saying, well, the spirit of the law is actually higher, isn't it, than the letter of the law. How you appear outwardly does not determine how well you're doing or how holy you are. It's an inward work of the Holy Spirit in your heart that the Pharisees couldn't grasp. They couldn't grasp it. And then the Sadducees, well, they don't know any better. They're probably worse. And we look at the, the political uh, motives and the manoeuvres of the, the Sadducees. If you want to go and study it, there's more learned men than me who have wrote down about it. And we look at it in our day, aye, and it's like, well, the amount of websites I go on to or, you know, hear people talking about and it's like, is there an election in America coming next year? In case any is no, or don't know, sorry, aye. You know, all these folk, you think Trump's the Messiah? And it's like, Trump's not going to make any difference. He's had a shot at it, aye. But then I look at myself and I'm thinking to myself, I wanted Kate Forbes in. She wouldn't have made a difference. She wouldn't have made a difference. Know how? Because the spirit of the age wouldn't have allowed her. That's the reality. So while you're waiting for Donald Trump or Katie Forbes or Benjamin Netanyahu or whoever it is to make a slight bit of difference, it might be slight, but it'll be temporal. That's the reality. You don't put your faith, your faith in political power in any political party on planet Earth. Our faith and hope is in Jesus Christ and his returning. That's it. And the Sadducees, academia, aye, the learned centers. Well, look what academia, academia has done in our day and age, aye. You think it's an accident that the curriculum in the school is the way it is? You think it just fell out the sky? You go back and trace the roots to the Frankfurt School and all these people, that, you know, in the 1940s, 50s, infiltrated the colleges and universities of the West and set out that this model that we have now, take God out of society, the, the, the plan that, that Alice Bailey had and that, you know, that the UN have adopted, this was all part of that. Aye. Actually, I was speaking to somebody the other day there and he was telling me that the Church of Scotland 
Uh, I'm actually sending prospective ministers to be trained at an Aberdeen uh, Bible College that actually the lecturers in there, a lot of them are atheists. So they'll no longer send them to uh, the Highland theological thing, but they'll send them to this one in Aberdeen. Now they've got to go there, and it's actually a lot of atheists there that are teaching. Academia isn't going to make any difference. Whether that's Bible college or whether that's just normal college. So we have to be aware of that. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. And now we get to the bit that I want to speak on. So, <laughs> some of you hurry up, Andy. <laughs> now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He says to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Amen. So when Arthur and Alotis went to Israel just recently, I was kind of a bit jealous. That's a lie. I was really jealous. Aye, that's a lie. I was really jealous. And one of the, the, the places in Israel where I would really love to go, if I had the chance, would be Caesarea Philippi. Just for, for, for this bit of scripture alone. And Jesus has not done this by accident. He's not took them to Caesarea Philippi by accident. If Stuart's really good on the computer, he might be able to get a picture of Caesarea Philippi on the screen for you right now. I don't know if that's beyond him or no, but I can see him typing away furiously. I'm sure he'll be able to do it. Sorry, Stuart. So Jesus has left the Orthodox behind, aye? the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and their uh, schemes to, to kind of test them and trap them. And here he comes into kind of, you know, a pagan uh, area of northern Israel. And it was named Caesarea Philippi uh, by Herod's son Philip. And it was distinguished from Caesarea which was kind of on the Sea of Galilee, is that right? Is it down on the coast, is it? On the coast. There you go, thanks, Arthur. There we go, aye. So, uh, what we ha have, or what we had, 
uh, back then in Caesarea Philippi was ground zero of pagan culture uh, in the Middle East and really possibly in the whole world. And I'll explain that a wee bit. Uh, so what we have there, uh, that cave, was called the Grotto of Pan, still called the Grotto of Pan. Now, it used to be, Caesarea Philippi was actually called Panias, aye, before Philip changed the name. And Philip's dad, uh, Herod the Great, had built a temple to Caesar Augustus, which isn't there anymore. I don't know if any of its ruins are still there after, are they? Maybe? It's a good question. Aye. So what we had in front of the Grotto of Pan, there was a big marble temple there to Caesar Augustus, who uh, the Caesars in Rome had kind of been deified as kind of uh, divine. And just along a wee bit, you see kind of niches and all that in there that people would do sacrifices to the god Pan. But also along a bit, you also had a temple to Zeus. Aye? So Zeus, as you know, was the chief of the Greek gods. And you had a few various other things that we dance courts to the nymphs of Pan and all that kind of stuff. So Pan, in case you don't know, he was kind of the, the Greek god of nature. And he had like goat hoofs and wee horns in his head and he played the pan pipes. Where we get the word panic from? Aye, because he would jump out at folk and, and give them a panic. Aye. <laughs> what did you learn at church? Aye? Where, where the word panic came from? <laughs> and inside that cave, it was known as one of the gates of hell, or one of the gates of Hades in Greek uh, culture. And people would travel from far and wide to come to Caesarea Philippi. Now, what you also had was the start of the foothills of Mount Hermon. Aye, Mount Hermon being the tallest mountain in Israel that hangs snow-capped for most of the year. And that was where, uh, in legend and uh, extra biblical sources, you would have where the, the, the angels who rebelled against God, they first came down to the top of Mount Hermon, aye, and they made their pact together in order to uh, subvert mankind and tamper with certain various things. And this would have been known to all the disciples, aye. Certainly Peter references this in his letters. Uh, Jude, certainly in the, the, the letter of Jude, certainly references stuff like that. So this is ground zero, aye. You know, as Christians, we can with confidence say that what Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, with absolute confidence, aye, that all these other religions in the world, whether it be worship of Pan, whether it be, you know, Islam, whether it be Hinduism, Buddhism, whatever, they're all inspired by demons. There you go, aye, that's the reality. Fallen angelic beings or demons, and we can say that with confidence, and that's why the world hates us. Even if it doesn't know it hates us, it does. Aye? See, all we would have today at the Haven, aye, we work at the Haven, we're a Christian organization, and really other agencies don't want to deal with us, aye, like the ADP and all these kind of things, because we say Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That's it. And all we would have today is say Jesus is our way. He's one of the ways. And we would be lifted up and heralded 
and all the newspapers and everything else have been a success. But because we say Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, we are then exclusive and we're no inclusive. Praise God. <laughs> so this is where Jesus takes them. And he turns around and he says, who do the people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. I mean, that's quite... I wouldn't mind that. Who do people say you are, Andy? Maybe you're Elijah. Aye, maybe you're Jeremiah. You see, Elijah, obviously, is a special place in the hearts of the Jewish people because he really was... You know, promised, certainly we see in Malachi, that before the great day of the Lord, Elijah would come back. Certainly in his own lifetime, he'd done miracles. He, he took on Baal and the, the priests of Baal, called fire down for heaven. It's not bad. Somebody saying that about you after that. But it was a slur to Christ. Some say John the Baptist. See, Herod Antipas thought Jesus was John the Baptist, didn't he? See that a few chapters early, earlier. Who is this guy? Maybe it's John the Baptist, come back. No. And John the Baptist, as Jesus says, there was none greater born of woman than John the Baptist. But it's still a slur to Jesus. Some say Jeremiah. Again, held a special place in the hearts of the Jewish people. And then he says to them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And see, the way it's written in the Greek, it isn't a one-time question. He's saying it. He's repeating the question to them. Because they have to get this. Because if they don't get this, well, we are not sitting here today, are we? Because ultimately this is the only question that matters. Who do you say that I am? And Peter, classic foot in your mouth kind of guy, straight away, but he's courageous. He wears his heart on his sleeve and he gets it right. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You see, in a way, the Pharisees and the Sadducees missed them. Why? Because they were so concerned with outward appearances and outward religion that they had refused to see what was right in front of them. You ever speak to somebody who refuses to see what's right in front of them? It's difficult, isn't it? You talk to them about something, and it's zoom. You see it, it's like, it's like something comes down over their eyes. It's like, woof. And it's like you're talking to a brick wall. You can't make somebody see who chooses not to see. But what Jesus is saying here is you're blessed because it's my Father in heaven that's revealed this to you. Aye. He has opened the eye of your heart to understand who I really am. 
Jesus says, no man can come to me save the Father drawn first. No man. I didn't choose, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And he says this, and this is one of the most controversial bits in the whole Bible, by the way, right? And there's many ways to look at this. But what I've learned in my time as a Christian is that especially when the Lord Jesus is speaking, he's speaking on many different levels all the time. So go away and do your study, but this is my topping's worth here. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So as a play on words here, aye, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. So Petros in the Greek is Peter, aye. Petra is rock. So Petros is his little stone, Petra is big rock. When the Aramaic, it's called Cephas, or Kephas, I can't remember how to, to uh, pronounce it. And obviously the Roman Catholic Church kind of tries to make uh, allusions that uh, this, this is how Peter's got the authority as the first pope, which is total nonsense, right? Because Peter was never the head of the, the church. Uh, James was, was the head of the church in Peter's day. But I think there's a couple of things that Jesus is saying here. Number one, the church gets built. How? How did you all come to Christ? How did you get saved? Or how are you being saved? You believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that what? Jesus is the Christ. And that's what Peter's just done. He's believed in his heart because God has revealed it to him. And he's confessed with the mouth, you are the Christ. But I think there's also more going on here as well. There's also more. You see, there's numerous, and I'm going to do a wee bit of flicking about scriptures here, so bear with me, aye. There's numerous places in the Old Testament, and I'm only picking one, right, you'll be glad to know, where God is described as a rock, aye. I'm going to pick this one just because I like it. And it's 2 Samuel 22, Verse 2, and this is David's song of deliverance. He said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my saviour, you save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. It was common for God to be known as a rock. And I believe Jesus is saying the confession, but also on this rock, he is the rock. I, in Christ this solid rock I stand. And we see Peter, obviously, when he... Uh, well, we'll come back to that, in fact. I'll move on for that. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So we have a promise here. 
about three promises. One, Jesus is going to build a church. First time we hear the word ecclesia in the, the, the Bible, basically in the New Testament. It's not talking about denomination. It's not talking about the Church of Scotland, the Evangelicals, AOG. It's talking about his people, his group, his people. I will build my church. So he's going to build a church. Hell's going to try and prevail against it. It's a promise. But they won't succeed. So there's three promises in one sentence. But I also think he's talking about more than that as well. He's talking about more than just that, if that wasn't enough. Because remember the, the, the picture that Stuart's taken down, aye? With, with, the, with the grotto or pan in the background that was known as one of the gates of hell, one of the gates of Hades. So strikingly, he's talking about the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. And you can just picture him looking back and saying, it's not going to prevail. These demonically inspired religions shall not prevail against my church. But I still think there's more than that, isn't it? He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So what is a key? That's the key to my car, to my house, right? So what that means is, I've got the authority to walk into my car, right? If one of you pick up my car key, right, and you go over to my car, and you open it up, and the police walk past, they're going to think that's your car, because you've got the key, you've got the authority, You get a clean if you do that as well. <laughs> so keys are a symbol of authority. And what are they used for? Used to open doors. We see in Isaiah 22, 22 again, all the twos of the day. If that will just go for verse 20. It says, In that day I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with your robe and will bind your sash on him and will commit your authority to his hand and he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open and none shall shut and he shall shut and none shall open. So in a purely physical sense, Eliakim was the steward of the house of David. And what he would have done was, he'd have got the key and got up in the morning and opened the door. And then he would, he would get to kind of vet who came in and who came out. And then at night time, he would go down and he would lock the door so nobody else could come in. Now I don't know what your uh, dealings with stewards are in your time. Aye, certainly I'm sure many have lived their life and went to nightclubs, aye, and they're called door stewards now, aye. And if he says you're not getting in, you're not getting in, aye, that, that's just the bottom line. It's always a bit of damper on a night when you go to try and get into a nightclub and you get tell, you're not getting in. But 
Now remember, behind them is the gates of Hades. Now what was Hades? In Jewish culture, they often called it Sheol. It was the realm of the dead. The place of the dead. Jesus Christ descended, as he alluded to in the sign of Jonah, to the dead for three days. We see that in 1 Peter, where it talks about as Jesus descended to the depths of the earth to preach to those spirits held in prison. We see in Revelation, Chapter 1, verse 17, it says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. And we see in Revelation 3, Verse 7, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write the words of the Holy One, the true one, who is the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. See, Jesus is authority to Hades now. Hades couldn't keep Christ. And what he is saying to Peter is, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. Aye, you are going to have authority. You see, one of the things that Jesus says to the Pharisees in Matthew 23 is that you have shut the door to the kingdom of heaven in the people's faces. And you don't even go in yourself. You're standing in the way so that nobody could enter. And what he's saying to Peter is, I'm going to give you authority to open that door. And you see Peter on the day of Pentecost when he preaches, when he was endued with power from on high. 3,000 Jewish people got saved that day. Then he goes to Cornelius, the Gentile. And the door's now open to the Gentiles as well. Peter did have the key. But guess what? So do we. So do we. We have the power to bind and loose. Now, you can look at that from a spiritual warfare point of view, which I'm not going to go into just now. But binding and loosening is forbidden, forbidden and permitting. These are keys to the kingdom that we have. The time of the Gentiles, the fullness of the Gentiles, I don't know how long that is going to be, be, be there. But I can interpret the signs of the times. You can see the writing on the wall. You can see what's coming down the line. And what happens in a place like Eastgate? Arthur, being faithful during COVID, opens up the doors. What's it, what happens then? Well, he loses a lot of his congregation. Aye, they don't agree with what he's doing. But then what happens is, a lot of other people start coming. I was one of them. Aye. And what happens when all, we all start coming through different churches and different places and denominations with different backgrounds? We bring all that into here. 
And guess what? We all believe what we believe, don't we? Aye. And we don't want to back down. And so what we find ourselves in is in a place where folk have got different beliefs on the rapture. Aye. I'm pre-trib, I'm post-trib. Aye. I'm natrib. <laughs> Aye. Different views on Israel and their place in the world today. I believe this, I believe that. One saved, always saved. I, I, I don't believe you. I believe you. So what happens then is we get all bogged down with all this superfluous nonsense. Because in the end, the only thing that's going to matter is who do you say that I am? You're not going to meet Christ and he's going to say, what did you believe about Israel? One saved, always saved. Who were you in that one? Pre-trib, post-trib? Well, you'll find out when it happens. Or if it doesn't happen, you'll get the memo. The enemy runs amok, even in the church. But we sit in our wee groups, on our wee groups, group chats. On the, the chances are, we are not going to change MD's mind on anything today with any of that stuff. Because we have our own position on these things. But I tell you what it does. It destroys unity. And therefore, it destroys the power available. Because we've got the keys to the kingdom. What are we doing with them? Sitting on them and arguing about all this nonsense. We need to be out there. We need to minister to folk. We need to be preaching about the kingdom of God. About Jesus Christ. You know, I was encouraged with the songs this morning. Because you always kind of say, oh, should I be talking about this? Or blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you know, God just speaks to you in the, in the worship. You just probably think, well, I don't, don't know. I didn't get that Andy for the worship because I don't know what you're talking about. But he was speaking to me. I Encouraging me in order that I came up here and share this message. You see, Peter said, in 1 Peter 2, verse 4. In fact, we'll just go for the starter too. He says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone, Rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him, will not be put to shame. And Isaiah 28, well, this is kind of taken for you. And it says this, 28 verse 14, I'll go for you. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers who rule this people in Jerusalem. Because you have said we have made a covenant with death and with Sheol, you could say Hades there, we have an agreement 
when the overwhelming whip passes through it will not come to us, for we have made lies our refuge, and in falsehood we have taken shelter. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste, and I will make justice the line and righteousness the plumb line. And Jesus is standing there before Peter. On this rock I will build my church. He is the rock. He is the cornerstone. But we, as living stones, are all being fitted into that great church that he's building. A holy priesthood. A holy priesthood. Should we not be unified? Should we know? be unified in the spirit and be able to neglect all these differences, these wee foxes that spoil the vineyard. There is a higher calling. All that stuff's interesting. Work it out. Aye, it's fine. But if it destroys fellowship with each other, then we need to throw it away. We need to ban it. The keys of the kingdom are yours. They're his but the Spirit of Christ, Christ dwells in you. People need the doors of the kingdom open for them. And it's through what you say to them that could be if they, they, they get that door opened or not. Praise God. Let me pray. Lord, loving Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for, for calling us. You knew what you were going to when you called us, Lord. You know that none of us are perfect. We all have our failings and our shortcomings, Lord. But I pray for vision, Lord. I pray for a vision for this church, Father. That we would see, Lord, that it's futile to put our faith, our trust, our hope in man, but only in you, Lord. That as the, the, day, the day is drawing to a close, Lord, we can see the signs of the times that you would give us a vision for these days, Lord, that you would really clothe us with power from on high in this place, that we would go out, as Arthur says, into the highways and the byways and compel them to come in, not to this church, but to the kingdom, Lord, that we would preach the good news We are power that we've never preached before, Father. I ask this in your son, Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for watching. If you've been challenged today, then please drop a message so that we can help support and pray for you. And also, remember to subscribe to our channel so you don't miss the next message.